You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our Charity Champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. In this episode, Restoration Gateway. In 2005, Dr. Tim and Janice McCall felt called to minister to the people of northern Uganda. Everybody we told that we were going to go to northern Uganda would say, well, you can't go there. You'll be killed. There are landmines. The Lord's Resistance Army is still active. Trusted God, and it was his idea, so we felt like we could trust him. We knew we could trust him, and the rest is history. Now their 700 acres of land is home to 100-plus orphans, a state-of-the-art hospital, dental facility, and more. And now, let's get to know our champions. You guys are fresh back from Uganda, is that right? Just a few days, yes. (laughs) Well, how was that flight, first off? Uh, Long, (laughs) but fine. It went good. So for those who don't know who you guys are and what you do, can you kind of describe what Restoration Gateway is and then kind of how it started? Yeah, well, Restoration Gateway is a God-given vision to uh, help uh, primarily in the restoration of northern Uganda that experienced the longest-running rebel movement in African history. A guy named Joseph Kony led that. He initially uh, was attempting to overthrow the Ugandan government, but realized he uh, didn't have the firepower to do that and uh, turned on his own people and uh, began to uh, invade villages and kill parents in front of their children or make their own children kill them, them uh, their own parents. And then those children either became uh, sex slaves or beasts of burden if they were female and uh, child soldiers if they were male. And just totally devastated uh, all the fabric of society in northern Uganda. So I uh, really felt like uh, we were called to uh, go and be a part of uh, the restoration of that travesty. And uh, uh, that's what we've been doing for the last 12 years. What did you guys first hear about all the stuff that was going on over there in Uganda? There was a video that was put out by three Southern California boys called Invisible Children, and we first saw that. So that's where we learned about the atrocities over there, the war. And there was another video called The Unconventional War that was really the first thing that got our attention that documented the same horrors as Invisible Children. So this is the same Coney that there was like a campaign at one point to kind of make him more well-known so that his, his reign of terror would stop, right? Yeah. They've had the uh, Sudanese army, the Congolese army, the Ugandan army, and special ops from the United States going after this guy for, well, since we, we went there in 2007, and they ha- have not been able to get him. His movement has dwindled greatly, but he's still alive somewhere. Uh, at least that's what I hear. Many people in the U.S. were able to view Invisible Children, and so that's where that came alive here in many parts of the United States. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that myself. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you saw the video. How did you then respond to that? It was interesting because certainly Uganda was not on my radar. We had been 11 years in Nigeria, West Africa as uh, medical missionaries, and then back here in Waco, Texas, uh, teaching family medicine for 12 years. But felt like... uh, 
God would call us back to the mission field. I thought that was going to be Central America or the Caribbean, some kind of beach resort ministry to the up and out instead of the down and <laughs> out. And so it was a little bit of a shock as we watched this, the unconventional war, just blood and guts, and really felt like... Uh, God said, everything that's gone before has been preamble. Here's the main event. As I watched this thing, I said, Lord, being the man that I am, would you tell Janice we're going back to, <laughs> back to Africa? And five minutes later, she leans over and says, that's where we need to go. So you guys had previous experience doing the medical missionary work, you said. Yeah, 11 and, years. And, and so you kind of knew what to expect going into certain parts of Africa. But is Uganda a different animal completely? In so many ways, Uganda in Nigeria are a lot alike. Africa is Africa in many ways, but it did give us a real heads up on the African culture. I thought we were going over there to build a hospital, part of what I did for 11 years in Nigeria, but then God gave this whole long list of things that he wanted that I had no idea how to (laughs) do. Thinking from my perspective, were you guys scared at all? All the stuff that's going on there? I mean, it's it seems like a, a terrifying situation to Actually, jump into. Actually, we were not scared. Wow. We were, and looking back, I'm thinking, well, I guess I was a little naive. Trusted God, and it was his idea, so we felt like we could trust him. We knew we could trust him, and the rest is history. Everybody we told that we were going to go to northern Uganda would say, well, you can't go there. You'll be killed. There are landmines. The Lord's Resistance Army is still active. And uh, even when we checked into the hotel in Gulu, that's the city that was kind of the epicenter of the Lord's Resistance movement. And when I was checking in, the the desk clerk told me about uh, 35 people from Gulu that had gone out to farm and that were killed that afternoon. Mm. I said, well, that'll make you want to come to this hotel. (laughs) (laughs) So you just knew that it was God's will, and so you weren't worried at all? That we, we really weren't. We, uh, the only time I got nervous was a pastor up there asked me to speak on the radio, and part of what I was saying was directed to the Lord's Resistance Army, that they needed to uh, lay down their weapons and come in, that their days were numbered, and, uh, and God was raising up a new uh, LRA, the Lord's Restoration Army, and it was going to crush their movement. When I got off, I... I sort of chuckled to the uh, pastor who was having me speak on his program and said, uh, I don't know why I was addressing the LRA. Uh, They don't listen to this program, do they? And he said, oh, yeah, they call in all the time. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And my knees literally started knocking, and I said, oh, we got to go south. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah, Uh, but that was the only time I really really felt nervous. So walk me through this. You've gotten this call from God. Uh, You know where to go. You're not scared to go there. How does this get started and what kind of support do you have initially? Well, again, you can't explain it any other way than this is what God's doing because I had no idea. I mean, I I thought I could build a hospital uh, starting small and letting it grow. Initially, God asked us to use our own savings and and buy land and, and start and that he would take it from there and that's what's happened he's he's just uh, a great uh, development officer in getting this thing uh, up and going tell me about buying land in uganda buying land uh, pretty much anywhere in africa is a very treacherous thing the first person who tried to sell us land was a pastor uh, but then we found out he didn't own the land he was trying to sell us and we hired the the best lawyer uh, we could find in uganda he helped us it took him about a, a year to uh, get clear title to the land uh, we had been offered 
And so what kind of spot do you guys have? Unbelievable spot. It's 700 acres overlooking the Nile River. Oh my gosh, that sounds great. So tell me about what you guys have been able to do with it once you got it. How did it start? We started with our orphan ministry. And initially, we had no idea that we would be working with orphans. We have four children. We have 12 grandchildren. But that was not on our radar to work with orphans. But God gave us a heart for that as well. And so now we have about 160 orphaned children that are called our children now. They belong to us at Restoration Gateway. But that's what we started with. Money began to come in for homes to be built for those children. So we knew that that would be the first thing we would do. So now we have a school. We have two schools for our children, an elementary school and a secondary school. Some of our older children are already getting close to graduating from high school. When I was talking to Brent about your guys' land and how it works, they talked about like trying to be sustainable on the land and having a, a machine that helps you make bricks and stuff like that. So why is that important to you guys? Our total goal is that this would be owned and operated by <laughs> Ugandans for Ugandans and that they won't need expats there to make it continue to go. They may want expats there for various reasons and input, but uh, we want it. I mean, it's really their blood, sweat, and tears that's mm-hmm. building this this vision. So it's right, and it's their country, so it's rightfully theirs. So you started with the orphanage. Where did you guys go from there? So I'm not a really a builder or a development uh, uh, person, <clears throat> so I just said, Lord, as as you bring in the resources uh, for whatever part of this ninefold vision you've cast, then uh, that's what we'll do. And so then money started coming in for a for dentistry, and we built a eight chair state of the art dental center, and uh, then money started coming in for the hospital and for agriculture, and yeah, it's just it's exploding. Uh, faster than we can keep up with it. The people that are coming to you, are they just coming from neighboring areas or people that were kind of around your land and that's how they found you? Yeah, most of the people that we hire in Uganda are called IDPs. They're basically refugees, but they're in their own country, so they don't want to be called refugees. So they are called internally displaced persons. We didn't know it at the time, but where where we eventually settled was considered a safe zone because uh, there was a military barracks right there. Those people had lost the opportunity for their own education. Most of them, second, third grade was as far as they had gone. And they didn't know how a job was supposed to work. They just knew that if their neighbor needed help, they went and helped their neighbor. If they needed help, their neighbor came and helped them. And so 12 guys showed up the day after I moved on to the land. They just stayed and worked all day long. Uh, for three days in a row, and I couldn't figure out why they weren't asking me how much I was going to pay them. <laughs> and then it dawned on me that the way they operated was to help each other. And so I figured in another month they were going to expect me to come dig their gardens, and <laughs> that wasn't what I was there for. So I explained to them that I needed to pay them something, which they, they quis- quickly grasped that concept, thought it good. It's grown from there. We have over probably 300 employees now. They were just trying to be good neighbors, huh? They were just being good neighbors. That's a really nice thing I I feel like we could use a little bit more of here in the States is the idea of just helping out your neighbor because that's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Let's keep it going kind of like a timeline so people can feel the story. So you have like your your first volunteers that become employees. Where do you go from there? So we moved on. It's just the bush of Africa. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was all tall grass, 
termite mounds and trees, and we moved a 20-foot shipping container and converted that into our living quarters that we stayed in for 11 years <laughs> and uh, was very comfortable. We, we were not dissatisfied with that, but our board of directors felt like we needed to build another house, which we've done right on the Nile River. Unbelievable view. Sunrise is uh, astounding. Wow. Anyway, that's where we started, and uh, within uh, a few months, uh, uh, more workers started showing up. Uh, I've never had to advertise or look for particular jobs. Uh, they say for every job available in Uganda, 50 people are looking for it. So mm. my workers see sort of what is next in line and will go and call people they know that might be able to do that job. And so uh, they just come and, and interview. It's just gone extremely well, built the orphanage, did the dental center, and just uh, this year dedicated a 180-bed hospital and have a very large uh, agricultural project with uh, our own uh, grist mill, and uh, uh, we uh, have a large chicken project and incubator to hatch eggs. So it's going great, and uh, yeah, the uh, first-class resort that we have 45 minutes away has come and asked us to provide all their food, and <laughs> so we're trying to gear up to be able to do that. Going back to your living quarters, I'd say after living in a storage container for 11 years, you're owed a house. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I've, I felt fortunate in that in that shipping container but uh, the house we have now is is really uh, remarkable uh, two bedrooms two baths and living room kitchen so i want to hear about i'm sure you guys have lots of stories about the people that are there on the property helping out or the orphans do you have any stories that really stick out in your mind that really let people know what this place is like well, in the midst of all the building that Tim was talking about, that timeline, after being there about three years, we took in our first orphaned children. It took a while to get permission by the government to actually take these children. And of course, it seems like they always want a bribe, which we do not do, but we, we held out. The and, government, not the children. Yeah, <laughs> the children. Yes, the government, but we held out. And some um, more righteous government leaders helped push that through for us. The first children that we took were three <coughs> brothers. We started hearing about their story from someone that worked at RG, and they were her nephews, and she was really feeling for them. And the more she told about it, the more we wanted to go about an hour away to their village to find these boys and see what was really going on. Three boys, when the last one was born, the mother left him as a baby on the road. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so... And we said, hey, we want to see these guys. These may be our first kids to take. And so we went to the village, and sure enough, they couldn't even find the oldest one, who was probably nine years old at that time, eight or nine, but he was out somewhere trying to find food. The extended family was there, but they were not really caring for them. Of course, they'd never seen the mother after, he, after she left the baby on the road, and that had been a couple of years probably, or two or three years. And the father to these boys was actually a little mental, mentally retarded. And so they were living in filth. We saw the place, his, his particular hut. So anyway, we got permission from these extended family members who weren't really taking care of them anyway. And we brought the boys back to Restoration Gateway. Hmm. Those three boys 
are amazing. Only the oldest had been maybe to a, a term at school. But I started working with the two oldest with phonics. And I mean, now they're just top students. I mean, amazing. It's going to be so great to see what God has for them in the future. What What is their profession going to be? That's great. All three of them are just brilliant. How about you, Dr. McCall? Certainly, uh, the remarkable thing to me is to watch these children come not knowing a word of English because I thought I was going to Central America, the Caribbean. I spent three years trying to learn Spanish, and I can say poquito. And (laughs) within two months, they were understanding what I was saying to them. And two months after that, they were speaking back to me in English. And I was just, I just thought that children that were raised in very uh, deprived environment would be slow learners. And they are extremely quick. I think one of the main saving graces of northern Uganda is their value of education. If you want to punish one of our children, you tell them they can't go to school that day. Mm. And they will cry and (laughs) change their behavior. And, uh, yeah, it's been remarkable to to watch uh, these kids. Have you seen any sort of stories that really stick with you around the medical services that you're offering there? We, we weren't quite ready uh, to do surgery, but uh, we've already done uh, quite a few uh, emergency C-sections uh, with women and babies that probably would have died had uh, the services not uh, been there. There's a disease called nodding disease that is just happening in, in northern Uganda. They don't know exactly what the etiology of that is, but uh, uh, children begin to lose the strength in their neck muscles and their heads start nodding off, and then they start having seizures and uh, quit eating, and then they die. And Mm -hmm. uh, we've gotten involved uh, in that and uh, seeing some good results uh, in those children. Whenever you expand into new territories, you know, like your expertise was the medical side of it. And then you did orphans, and then you're doing agriculture. How do you, how do you do that? How do you step out in faith to know that you know I'm going to start this thing that I really don't know much about? Like I said, I told the Lord I didn't know how to do hardly any of what He had, <laughs> he had asked me. I, I laughed when He when He said this is what He wanted. We just every day get up. We're not sure exactly what we're going to do, but <laughs> uh, there's always plenty to do, and just take it a step at a time. And uh, God has brought other people into the to the vision that uh, do know certain parts of it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fabulous place. Uh, uh, just had a uh, landscape artist uh, from Belton come over, and he's been over three times now, and he's making the place a veritable garden. Wow. Uh, it's a very, very fertile land, and uh, you can grow anything uh, there. Yeah, right on the Nile. That's kind right, of the yeah. birth of civilization, right? There you go. <laughs> So you guys, the way it works is you guys are over there in Uganda, and then you have a support staff back here in Waco, and so they're trying to help you with logistics and stuff. How difficult is it to kind of manage that that distance, and then how do you guys, like, raise the money and the funds and the, and the availability to do this sort of work? Well, God's brought some amazing people into the vision on this side of the ocean as well as that side of the ocean. We do very little in the way of managing this side of the ocean other than coming to tell the story. Uh, some remarkable people in our offices and on our boards here in America. Yeah, and then we have so many 
very qualified Ugandans that have come on staff with us. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's been a great thing. They've got wonderful education. They catch the vision, and they're people of integrity, and they've helped us. So this trip you're back on right now, is it also to kind of spread the word? I heard there's some, some medical stuff going to go on as well. Is that the main reason you guys are back? Really three things. Uh, one, I had my 50th high school reunion uh, That's this, important. this last weekend, <laughs> uh, which was an interesting process. But uh, we're here to, again, share the story and try and get uh, people interested in being a part of what God's doing there in Uganda. But we are I'm probably going to have both my knees replaced, and Janice is going to have one of her knees replaced. So we won't, won't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you guys are going to uh, go to the Baylor game and become our fourth charity champion and be recognized out there. Also, you've kind of caught the name of some big-name musical acts. So Amy Grant's going to be Grant, helping you guys yes, out. How did yeah. that come to happen? You'll have to ask uh, Brent Patrick, our uh, CEO here in America. I think uh, they presented uh, Restoration Gateway to her, and she's very interested in uh, helping orphans and uh, building community overseas. And uh, she uh, just agreed to come to Waco and uh, support Restoration Gateway. Excellent. So November 12th, it's going to be at Antioch. And on your website, restorationgateway.org, you can buy tickets. And so we want to sell this place out because all that stuff's going to go back to you to support your mission in Uganda, right? And that's my understanding is that 100% of that will go to uh, the children and people of uh, Uganda. You mentioned earlier about the ninefold vision. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so I thought I was going over there, uh, Dale, to uh, build a hospital, Mm -hmm. start small just as a clinic and would grow. That's what we did in Nigeria. God said, no, I don't want just a hospital. I want a hospital and a dental center. I want a Bible mission training school. I want an orphanage and orphan schools. I want a large tabernacle conference center, a first-class resort, a children's camp, a pastor's retreat, and an agricultural and fishery demonstration farm. And that's nine. And that's nine, and I started laughing, Uh, not in disbelief that he couldn't do that. I just thought he was calling the wrong person. Did he give that to you all at once or over time? No, it was all at once. Oh, my goodness. It was actually driving from uh, that time we were in Gulu, first time we had been there. We were driving south. He laid it all out. Okay. Well, um, with all that going on, I would think that there are lots of opportunities for folks on this side of the ocean to help out. And I'm wondering, uh, do you have short-term mission teams that come over there from the United States? Yeah, Dale, we've probably had uh, over 4,000 volunteers, and mostly from the U.S. and mostly college age uh, Mm -hmm. volunteers, but uh, we've had people from all over the world come and and help in various ways. Okay, and so about how many a year come over to visit with y'all and work? Somewhere between 350, 400 people a year. Is there a typical experience that someone could expect when they come over and i'm not talking about the food i'm not talking about the culture i'm just talking about what happens in their heart i think one of the the most common things is especially among the young people that come over there and they know how much they have been blessed with so many material things and Mm. they see our children and our, our workers with pretty much nothing but the joy that they have, that they're, they're struck. And yep. how can these people be so uh, joyful with so little? I've heard people talk about first world problems and third world problems. When we go and experience the third world problems, 
our first world problems don't seem that much. Yeah, they dwindle away. They, they, they really do. Go, wow. When they come visit and they experience this uh, and they return, is, um, do, they, do they get involved further with you or others, or do you keep up with them, or, or what do you know about how this affects their lives? We have quite a few that come annually back uh, to be a part of, of that work, and mm-hmm. many of them, uh, uh, we have a... Uh, general surgeon in, in Indianapolis who is now the head of our surgery. He, he lives in the U.S., but mm-hmm. is finding all the equipment and everything we need to be able to do surgery right. Mm-hmm. So many people come back to help us, and a lot of the people will come and work with our children. Mm-hmm. We have some that teach, they tutor, they just play with the children and give them great experiences. You know, we've just had this summer a group that came and help to foster some artwork and we it, it helps open up our children to different things and we see how gifted they are in certain yeah. areas. I've seen a lot of people travel to situations where they're going to bless others. Yes. And I find out what happens is that they get a greater blessing. They get the greater blessing, yes. Yeah. And I think that's why so many of them keep coming coming back. I mean, we've had varied People come. We've had the uh, offensive line coach of the Miami Dolphins come mm. and teach our kids uh, football. Keeps coming back which every year. Which he's been amazed wow. at how quickly they grasp it. And, and so um, his sister came the second year. She felt called to just come and help us. She's mm-hmm. our librarian now, so she mm-hmm. lives there. What is it about uh, a third-world culture, do you think, that uh, attracts folks from first-world cultures? I think it is the joy that they see in our people and our children when they have so little and it's it's contagious and they want to help make it even better for them and i think i think it's also the the difference in most of us here in in america are time conscious and get the job done africans primarily are relational and it's all about relationship. And if uh, all we do today is sit and talk mm-hmm. uh, by the river, we can be happy as clams. And I think that that contrast is uh, it's certainly something I needed mm-hmm. and something I've learned a lot about. I don't still don't do it as well as they do. But yeah, one thing that I've learned is that uh, Americans have watches, but Africans have time. Yes. And so whenever you're whenever you're That's visiting, yeah. whenever you're visiting uh, and you're on African time, you may and they start at something at three. You may start at four. But if it's three fifty nine, you really did start at three. Yeah. Or or, or six or, or seven <laughs> that night. Or, and relationship yeah. is so important. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I don't know. I guess I find and, and listening to you describe this is just the simplicity of life and it uh, begets relationships in comparison to what we have here. It's a slowdown. And I feel like there are so many people here that are just dying to go over there. But then so many people are afraid for whatever reason. But once they get there, it's just that God does an amazing thing. You know, yeah. they, they fall in love with the place and the people is what they fall in love with. Yeah. Well, I think I think we should mention that uh, since the Lord called you to a place where the LRA was rampaging, even though it was a dangerous place, it was the safest place for you to be because that's where he wanted you to be. Absolutely. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's I've really not felt fear, but I, I think we have so many friends now that would actually lay their lives down uh, for us if there was a problem. 
But that's what I tell parents sometimes when they say, oh, well, our, our daughter, she's a junior in college. She wants to come, but it just sounds so scary. And I say, if God wants her there, that's the safest, safest place, place for her. And another thing, I'm, I'm listening to all the different things that you do, and it sounds like it's uh, a lot of planning, and I'm sure it is. But the essence of what you're doing, it sounds like to me that you're, you're just loving people. Yeah, I mean, we've been in Africa now probably uh, close to 25 years, and we've gotten more African. So uh, <laughs> uh, our board of directors here thinks there probably should be more planning than, than we do. Yeah. But we just live life and kind of go with the things that are presented to us and uh, made possible by charity of people here in America and the uh, hard work of, of a lot of Africans. Yeah. Is there any unmet needs that you have in Uganda that people here could help with? Yeah, there, there are always, always needs, Dale. Uh, we, we want uh, Restoration Gateway to be state-of-the-art in everything that we do, really done well and excellently. But you have to balance that with there are so, so many needs. You can't do them all to the top standard. Yeah. And you have to sometimes accept uh, that you're doing something uh, rather than doing nothing. Right. Well, uh, I always drill down on that. Randy knows I do. And I want to uh, ask you this because, you know, God may have somebody listening that uh, has already been attracted to what you're doing and loves the passion that you have, and they have money that they want to give away that they don't know what to do. Is there a, is there a certain thing that you want done, and it costs a certain amount of money, and would you share what that is and how much money you need for that to happen? Well, one thing we we always need to get really fine staff and people that work in our different areas, Mm -hmm. such as our medical people and the greatest teachers and all those things, we need somebody to support the salaries of those people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Operational costs are not real sexy and uh, not something people are readily drawn to, but you've got to have it. Well, the operational costs support the nine visions that you just laid out. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And one of, one of the big, big projects that I'm hoping to start soon is a, a conference center. I didn't understand it when God first gave it, but I see that as a, a focal point for uh, restoring northern Uganda, getting lots of people. It'll be a 1,500, 2,000-seat auditorium, and lots of people, in, whether it's in security or education or government or business, can get together, and they can all get on the same page, mm-hmm. and they can all get the vision of where they want to go. Right. Uh, do you have a ballpark figure for what that would cost to build? It, it's probably going to be uh, between three and $400,000. Okay. And so you talked also about, you know, you had a vo- volunteer from Belton that was coming and doing some landscaping and stuff there. Do you welcome people to come and just use their gifts and help you guys out where you are? We do. We, we have had, uh, for the past 12 years, just a, an open-door policy. You, you feel like you want to come? Come. We are seeing now that we're sort of getting overwhelmed, and uh, some people are wanting to come just to get an African experience and not so much just uh, give input and support to, to Africans. So we are, we are being a little bit more uh, restrictive and uh, intentional about uh, who can come and, and who can't. 
but the best way would be to contact the office here and kind of see what the need is and they could start the process if it was something that you felt called to do, right? Yes. 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 Beyond that, I was thinking about my first interaction with you guys before I met you. What was video, very similarly to how uh, you guys felt called after watching a video. The thing that really stuck out to me in the video was how exuberantly they were worshiping in in the church. So kind of talk about what is it like if you're in a church service there? It's sort of like being at the disco. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they worship with their body, their mind, and their spirit. And it's uh, use everything they have to give glory and, and honor to the Lord. And it's it's a, it's a joy to watch. In the beginning, it's a little bit unnerving. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we think everything should be done in an orderly way, but I'm not sure that's the order of heaven. And, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's very much like it will be in heaven someday. It looks like they really just can't control their emotions because they're so overcome with what they're feeling, and that's how they express it. And, you know, there's us here back in the States, especially in conservative churches, where if you put a hand up, people are looking at you like, what is he doing? That, <laughs> These guys are dancing, having a good time. Hand, hands up, body moving, uh, sometimes just... They're ecstatic that everything's going on. Yeah. And you guys have a baptismal font kind of like in the front of the stage area there? Yeah, we built a baptistry in the front part of our stage. Just take up part of the floor and person can get in the water and the baptizer can stand behind them and baptize them. And they really like that much better than being baptized in the Nile. Because I think they think we're going to bury them in the likeness of Christ, but not raise them to the newness of light because of the hippos and crocs. Yeah, yeah. Fewer uh-huh. crocodiles. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Much fewer. So how many people ballpark do you think have been baptized or saved? I'd have to not I'd sure. have to think on that one. Yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah. It's good not to know the number because I'm sure it's a lot. <laughs> well, excellent. Um, one question I had for you guys, um, being away for so long, living in a storage container and being over there. And you talked about the slowness of the pace of life. What is something that's a culture shock for you when you come back to the States? Going to the grocery store. <laughs> the, the cere- Too many choices. The, cere- the cereal line. And uh, you've got three choices of uh, Cheerios or, you know, it's just... That, that blows us away. Just, wow. <laughs> so if people want to get in touch with you, they should go to your website, restorationgateway.org. You guys have the office here, and that's how they get in contact with you. Again, that's where they can get the tickets for the Amy Grant concert we're all very excited about. And we're also really excited to have you at the game this weekend, and we're going to celebrate you on the field, and we're also going to have you guys at the tailgate as you're able, considering you guys are going to work on some of your medical issues while you're here. Um, So if you want to meet these guys, come on out and learn more about Restoration Gateway because it really is an amazing nonprofit. And thank you so much for the work you're doing. And thank you so much for being a charity champion. Well, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity and opening this window. And uh, we're going to look forward to seeing what will come out of it. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment and rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org nominate. You can also find more information on this podcast and all Charity Champions at charitychampions.org. And of course, tell all your friends. We'll see you next time.